Good evening, good evening, and welcome back to Decoding Talmud. Um, so originally we were set out to have this as a as a four-week course. So we will work, work on getting to the end of this piece of the Talmud, getting up to two dots, sort of wrapping up the, the sugya, um, wrapping up this topic. We, we got lucky. Well, not got lucky. We chose um, a lot of the topics when it comes to the Talmud have, could go on sometimes for three or four pages. Uh, one of the reasons why I chose this topic is because it has a sort of end to its, its discussion, although the discussion continues, um, but this aspect of it is, is put to a, is put, has, has a few, a lot of the common steps of Talmud, but sort of comes to two dots, which two dots means that we finish this, this section, this, this topic being discussed in, um, being discussed in, um, being discussed. So we're going to do things a little different today. Um, A, to be able to get to the last, to get to the two dots that that's the end of this section. And we're also going to go through a bit of a review, well, a review, but together with the review, I want to cover the different rules, the different topics, more than the topics, more discuss the rules that we, that we or the logics or the different steps that we engaged with. And we, we worked through at least on a start at, at for, for a first course of the different steps that there are in the Talmud, in the Talmud. Um, so focusing obviously on what we learned, but also focusing on the rules that have implications later on, um, later on anytime you were to open up a Talmud. Um, so we'll start with a quick review. Um, we'll do a, like we, we will, I'll do a, what I call the power review, where we'll read from the beginning to where we're up to. We'll, uh, review, we'll, we'll get, we'll move a little bit on a faster pace, um, through the Talmud, obviously making sure we understand it, not to skip on that. And then finish off with, I created a bit of a slideshow, um, just going through the steps and also just like pointing out the rules. And I remember last time, um, a few of you asked that it be shared. So later on tonight, I'll uh, finish up on that and, um, or tomorrow and I'll send it over to Rabbi Solish for all those that would like, um, could share. And then we'll, uh, we'll finish off the class with a bit of a, uh, a discussion if if there's interest in having a second if there's interest in having a second series uh if yeah what topics would some would if you have any ideas of what could be done differently if there's different focuses that some people would like to have or so we'll do that at towards the end all right so i'm going to share my page now we'll start with um, we'll do a, actually we'll do we'll do a quick review outside as well. Let me see. There's some 
some some more students than there were the past some class members. So um, hopefully we'll be able to have everyone up to place without. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we'll go through the, the the Gemara quickly outside, then quickly inside, and then we will continue. Um, you know, let me. I'll share the slide, although we won't focus on it, on, on parts of the slide right away. But um, we'll just it just I have it broken down here. Um, okay. Um, well, once it's loaded. Right, so just I guess while I'm waiting for this to load, there we go. All right. So just the first thing that we had is, right, the Talmud is made up of the Mishnah. It was written by the Tanoim, the Tanoim, or singular called the Tana, um, which is translated as a teacher. And again, it was compiled by Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, but it's the, all the rabbis from the era from 32 BCE to 219 CE. Um, that's just a general piece of information, a general thing wor worthy of knowing. Whenever you learn a Mishnah, um, you have a Reisha. Well, not always, but almost always you have a Reisha and a Seifa. A Reisha is the head, the beginning, the Seifa is the end, um, which is that any Mishnah that's made up of two rules, the first one's called the Reisha, the second one is called the Seifa. Um, I put this in there, although our Mishnah doesn't have one, there is also a Mitsuyusa some Mishnas are compiled of three cases or three details. So that would be a Mitsuyusa, a middle case. What is the ratio of our Mishnah? The first case that we had in our Mishnah that we studied is somebody deposited a cow or a vessel. The cow or the vessel was stolen from the watchman. The, um, the watchman decided that he's going to pay instead of swear. Then the person who stole it was found. And the rule is that once when you steal something, if you, when you if you get caught, you have to pay double. So the the ratio, the beginning of our Mishnah tells us that the watchman will get because he paid instead of swearing. Because he paid, he will end up with the four with the being paid twice, or in some cases four or five. That's the ratio of our Mishnah. That's the first case of our Mishnah. The safe of our Mishnah, the second part of our Mishnah, is again very similar. Somebody deposited something by his friend. It was stolen. Number three. Oh, I made a mistake. Whoops. Okay. Um, I copy pasted and I forgot to change. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Let me change that. Sorry. Um, where am I here? Um, give me. Sorry about that. Um, let me, you know, I just, I'll point it out here, but when, um, when, before I send it out, I'll make sure to change that. Um, point three, he swore and he didn't pay. Again, a swearing is that anybody that watches something for somebody else, if it gets stolen, he needs to steer, swear that he wasn't negligent and then he wouldn't have to pay. So in this situation, in the end of the mission, he decided that he's going to swear and not pay. Then the person that stole it was found. So again, this is my second mistake is the one who deposited the object, he will get the double. 
or the four or the five. So that is the first rule that we discussed. Just the first, again, that, that's the Mishnah and the main rules that we discussed in the Mishnah is that A, what the Mishnah is and the idea of every, most Mishnahs are made up of a, a Rasha and a Seifa. If anyone has any questions, please ask. Um, please ask. All right. Then we move on to the Gemara, the Talmud. Uh, we pointed out that when there's the Gimel Mem in the Mish Gemara, let me uh, write that. It means that we're starting the Talmud part of it. That was compiled over the years of 2019 to 500. It was compiled in the year 500 CE, but from the teachings of the, from the Amora, one who says, one who explores, it was those, the, the Talmud is based on the teachings of the discussions, dialogues, debates um, that the Amoroyim had. And that was compiled by Rav Ashi and Rav Ishiya. But then again, that was compiled. But the main thing um, is that it was, that it's the teachings of the Amoroyim. Um, so that's just a general input about the Gemara. Then the first step of our Gemara, and really we pointed out that that's almost every Gemara. Most Gemaras start with exploring the wording of the Mishnah. That's the general rule that's worthy of knowing for any Mishnah you'll open up, is in most cases, the first thing we discuss is the wording. Um, in, our, in our situation, we start with wondering why the Mishnah states vessels and animals. So that was our question. Um, point Rule number two that we had, so once the Gemara deals with that, the, Gemara, the Talmud asks, why do you need a... Why does the Mishnah you need to use vessels and animals? So we pointed out the idea of a tzricha. It is needed. Or a tzrichusa, which is when the Gemara will explain why each aspect is necessary. That usually comes up um, in a case where there's two rules, which one of them seem extra or... Um, or in our case, where you have a Mishnah that has two words, and we are not, we are not, we're, we're, our goal is to explain you the uniqueness and individuality of each one of those, while, while why each one is necessary and why each one is important. So that is a tzricha, a tzrichusa, it is needed. So every time you see the word tzricha in the Mishnah, in the Talmud, that means we explained or we will explain what is unique about each one and why you wouldn't be able to understand one from the other. In our, in our, in our, in our Gemara, in our piece of Talmud, what we ended up explaining was is that if we would have, if the Mishnah would have either said vessel or said animal without having, without mentioning the other one, we will not know that the law applies by the other one. And that is because if the Mishnah would only say that I could get the double, that the watchman gets the double by a case of a cow, I would think only because there's lots of work involved. As we mentioned, when I'm watching something for you, I have to also take responsibility for it. I have to uh, take some level of care for it. Um, was, I, I met, right, it was, uh, I, I mentioned that there was the whole Talmud about if when you have somebody's rugs or you have somebody's Sefer Torah, expensive rugs, how you have to deal with it, what you have to do for it, if you have to unroll it, if you need to hit it with a stick, right? So the same thing was the cow. A cow you have to take, you have to feed, you have to clean, 
You have to clean out the barn. You have to take him out for his walk. Um, so I would think in such a case, you get the double. Um, that's why I also need to mention vessels. Um, and then the second aspect is if we would only say vessels, but we wouldn't say animals. So then I would think only by a vessel where the financial gains, the financial futures are not so great because it could only be double. In such a case, I'm ready to sell you that possibility. But the case of an animal, which involves getting four or five times, perhaps you wouldn't. So that's why the Mishnah needs to say both. There needs to be a trichusa. They are both needed. So that's, um, that was the, the second rule. So again, so, so far our Mishnah has the idea of exploring the wording. And we take the we take the route. Our Talmud takes the route of Yitzchikusa. It is needed. Each one of those words are needed. The next step that we had was the rule of a maskif, a challenge from an amora. Um, just I'm, I'm going to throw it out. We didn't have it. I mean, I'm just going to put it out there for perhaps future reference. But there's another word in the Talmud that comes out mibayile. Which is a similar, which is similar to mask. It's also a challenge, but that usually means that it came from the era of the of the to, from the mission, the era of the Mishnah. So it was one Tana asking the other Tana. Um, Maskif just gives us a reference to what era it was, um, but it's a challenge from an Amora. Now, a challenge. What, what, I, what I mean to say by a challenge is that we are using a how, higher power, a, how, a higher power to challenge what was said. And over here, I put in parentheses source, um, but in truth, it's not always a source. It could also be an intellectual, an intellectual, uh, an intellectual question. And as a challenge, when you see the word maskif in the Talmud, it means that we're telling you that the question that we have, either because we have a source for it or because it's that strong intellectually, will void your whole opinion or your notion if you can't answer it. So whenever you see a maskif, or that means that I am disproving you, or that means that I'm challenging you enough that if you don't have a solid answer, your previous opinion, your opinion or your, or your thought will be void based on what I asked you. So again, that is the rule of a maskif. And just for added addition, maskif means that it's coming from the era of the Amora. Um, now, in our, how did that translate in our Gemara? This was step number three. After we said that you buy the financial rights, the Talmud comes and asks you, or Rami asks you, how is it possible to buy futures if they're non-existent yet? <laughs> and we bring from, an, from the source that one can't buy something that doesn't <clears throat> exist yet. That's where, how our Talmud took it. Do we have a question? No. Uh, yeah. So that was our third step of our Talmud. The fourth step of our of the of the topic that we're of, of our section of the Talmud that we're discussing is I, I didn't have the proper um, Aramaic wording for it, but it's uh, 
we refute a possible proof countering our view, which is uh, right. It's uh, a very common, common practice in law or in any such thing. You may think this and this, so let me tell you, it is not. How did that, how did we use that in our Talmud? Is we try challenging the view of buying financial rights based on the fact that it's not existent yet. So we bring a proof from, from a rabbi that you could buy something that's non-existent. <clears throat> Point out that would only be in a situation that it's likely to happen. For example, a date tree. However, we point out that in our situation, getting the double is so unlikely that it's totally not existent in this world. So how are we even discussing this idea of, pur of purchasing futures that are just so distant from reality, so distant from this actual world? So that's so, so we're still at a point. We're still at a point of maskif. We still are at a point. We're at a point of challenge because we're trying to understand how does our Mishnah allow the watchman to get the double if at what moment do I get, let's say I'm the watchman, at what moment do I get the rights that I purchase, that I acquire the rights of the double, at what moment did that happen? Because you can't just, it's not possible for the depositor to just give it over to me without there being a moment of that transaction happening. So that is where we're still at the moment of the, uh, right. So where we finished off last week, I believe, is we redefine. And this is a common, a common Gemara practice. And again, this is not just Gemara, this is any logical discussion that there is. The Gemara will tell you, um, and again, I didn't use Aramaic word for this because this could come in, um, in, in the Gemara, the Talmud could use different wordings for this. Our uh, could be after a, after a question, we say, Amar Rav Papa, Rav Papa said, meaning to say he's answering, or rather, rather Rav Papa said would also be a similar thing. So usually when you have a rabbi, well, meaning not a rabbi as in a, a 2020 rabbi, a Amora um, in the Talmud coming right after a challenge, many times it means that we're about to redefine. So what are we about to redefine? And this is where we finished last week. Rava says as follows. Rava says, you have thought that I was only buying, you understood that the Mishnah is that I'm only buying the futures. I'm going to tell you that at the moment of purchase, when I, the watchman, pay you, instead of swearing to you, you not only sold me the futures, you didn't just sell me the financial rights, you also sold me the actual cow from the moment of deposit. So retroactively, you sold me the cow. And in Jewish law, that is something that is accepted. You could buy things retroactively. Um, and I'm sure there's some people on this class that know a lot more than me about this in American law. But the one example that I think of, and again, I don't know how it works in Georgia, but I can imagine it's the same. I know my sister bought a house in New York 
and she bought the house, but retroactively she had to pay all the fines that the house got over the past many years. It was an abandoned house and whoever the bank owned it and they didn't, they weren't whatever. I'm not sure the exact details, but she, she got the house in 2000 and she got it two years ago. So she got it 2018, but retroactively they had to take care of all the fines that were on the house from the year 2000 fines and taxes that were on the house from the year around 2010. Right, so that'll be a similar thing where, um, where, uh, okay, so that, that's where we finished off last week, where Rava says our Mishnah is discussing about the financial rights, but at the same point, you're, you're the reason, in other words, you're getting the financial rights, you're getting the double from the person who stole it, not just because you have the rights, because he stole your cat. So, right, the example that just, just to give it a time frame, if the cow was deposited by me on October 1st, uh, it was stolen October 10th, October 20th, I paid for it. And October 30th, we, the, the person who stole it was found. Rava said that at the moment of October 20th, at, at, the, the, at, October 20th, when I per when I paid instead of swearing, the cow became mine. I forgot one detail, did I? Sorry, let, let me do this again. October, October 1st, I paid, I, I, you deposited by me. October 10th, it was stolen from me. October 20th, I paid for it. October 30th, the person that stole it was found and now he needs to pay double. Rava says something fascinating that at the moment of October 20th, when I paid for it, I get the cow from October 1st. So whose cow was stolen October 10th? My cow. So now Rava took this discussion away from futures to investments. Right? He says, I bought the cow. I didn't just buy the future, invest, future financial benefits that come from it. That's where we were up to in our Gemara. That's where we finished last week. We two weeks ago we finished off a little bit in a in a fast pace. So just to to, to reiterate that that idea, Rava tells us that it wasn't. I didn't buy the financial rights. I'm buying the actual cow retroactively from October first, and therefore any financial rights that might come later on belong to me because I own the cow, right? Once I buy a house, if I got lucky and two days later, the, 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 the house went up $500,000, it's my house. Um, and um, so that is where we're up to in the Gemara. That I'm gonna now pull up the Merkava. We'll continue with steps six and seven as we go along. Um, this is just where I just wanted to do what we did so far. So just again, the quick rules that we discussed, we discussed the Mishnah, that there's a ratio and a Seifa, beginning and end. We discussed that most Gemaras start with exploring the wording. We, 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 uh, uh, rule number three was a Tzrichusa. It's needed when the Talmud will define each one and tell us why each one is unique. 
Um, then we had rule number four was a when we, well, or skill number four with the Talmud, when the Talmud refutes a, a challenge before you could even bring it. So it's not in a challenging way. The Talmud tells you, you may think this and this. Let me tell you, don't even consider that challenge. And number five is when we, we, when we redefine the situation, when we basically, we are, we're answering the challenge by redefining, not by trying to find the loophole, but rather by redefining the rule or redefining the reason behind it. And therefore the challenge naturally falls away because now we have a different, we're looking at this case from a different angle. All right, so um, how do I get out of this? Okay, um, here we go. Uh, I'm just gonna go, we're gonna do the Gemara inside here with the Merkava. And when we get to the new piece, we will, so as we did in the past, I'll just read it quickly. Listen along. Um, if you have any questions on the translations, let me know. Or, right, one who deposits by his friend, an animal or a vessel, it was stolen, or they were lost. He paid and he did not want to swear. The watchman decided that he's paying. Behold, they said, unpaid watchman could swear and go out, meaning he and he decided not to do that. Rather, he decided that he's going to pay instead of swear. Nimza Ganev, the one who stole it was found. He paid the payments of double. If the person who stole it cooked it or sold it. He pays the payment of four or five. To whom does he pay? It's low to who the deposit is by. I'm the watchman. I paid for the object. The object, I get all financial rights that might come out of it. That's the ratio of the Mishnah. If he swears and he doesn't want to pay, the one who stole it was found. He pays the payment of double. If he cooked it or he sold it, meaning the one who stole it, cooked it or sold it, he pays the payment of four or five. To whom does he pay? To the person who deposited it. In this case, I didn't pay for the object. I swore. I did what Torah tells me to do. But because I never paid the depositor, once, once the person that once the once that person who stole it was found, we got to uh, we got to pay the person that the person that's cows was stolen gets the double. Gemara, right? So this is what we're saying. The gimel mem means that this is the beginning of a gemara. The the Talmud is starting. Tiller was the Mishnah. Now is the Talmud. Says the gemara said for, or or for for the for the yeshiva language frek the gemara asks the gemara. Why does the Tana, why does the Mishnah need to teach animals? Why does the Mishnah need to teach vessels? Answers the Gemara, Srihi, I need both. So I was saying that's, that, that was skill number two. When the Talmud tells me, Srihi, Srihusa, we're telling you, we're telling you, we're about to point out why you need each one. To eat Tana Behema, for if he taught animal, I would have said, Behema, who 
the Maknilik Fela by an animal, the depositor sells the double, the right of the double to the watchman. Why? Mishum Dinafish Tircha, for there's a lot of burden, to bring him in and to take him out to deal with the animal. Ava Kalim, however, vessels the Loy Nafish Tirichayu, that there isn't a lot of burden, Ema Loy Maknilik Fela. Perhaps you will say that he doesn't sell him the double. Meaning that the that the that the depositor doesn't sell the double to the watchman. If the tana, so that's why I must say animal. I must say vessels, because if I wouldn't say vessels, I wouldn't know to include that. If he would have taught the tana, would have taught vessels. I would have said that by double is when he sells him. So I would have said by vessels that he sells him the double. For it's not more because it doesn't amount to more than double. It's never more than double. Vessels, the return on the vessels could never be 100%, more than 100% profit. However, by an animal, in a situation where he cooked it or he sold it, the one who stole it will need to pay four or five times. And perhaps I would tell you that that I'm not ready to sell you that 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 potential profit. So that's why our Mishnah Nitzah tells us, um, sorry, perhaps I would say he's not ready to sell the double. Sricha, therefore, I need to have both. I need to have the, the Mishnah tell me vessels. I need to have the Mishnah tell me animal. So that is the first the first sort of right. So at this conclusion. We know why the Mishnah needs to say vessel and why the Mishnah needs to say animal. Now, Maskif law, Rami Barchama, Rami Barchama challenges this. He, he, he's, he's uncomfortable with, un, well, he's not uncomfortable. He's not willing to accept this idea that we're discussing financial benefits or only financial benefits. What's his challenge? Vaha ain adam bala ola. Vaha and behold, a person cannot sell something that didn't come to the world yet. Let's just stop there. The question is, so then how, if, if all you're selling the watchman, if the only benefit you're giving the watchman is the financial rights that might occur later, what, what are you selling him? It, it's not existent. So when are you giving him the rights? Now, even according to Rameer that does say, a person could sell something off that didn't come to the world. These words, meaning when do we accept, when does Rameyer allow such a purchase? Similar to fruits of a day tree, for they are likely to come. However, over here, and now we move on to Daf Lamid Dalid Amr Aleph. Right, we got it, got it in this corner right here. So Miye, but but in our situation, first of all, Miyamer de Meganva. Who says that the object will be stolen? de Meganva. And if you would like to say that the object will be stolen, situation um, detail number two, de Ganev. Who says that the Ganev will ever be found? So we're already two possibilities away from you not getting your double. A, who says it's going to be stolen? 
Number two, if it is stolen, who says you will find the guy that stole it? And if the Ganev will be found, who says he will need to pay the double? Dilma Modiu Miftar. Perhaps he's going to admit and he will not need to pay the double. So your three, your three, you need three things to fall in place to get the double. And if so, if so, it's 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 something that's non-existent. So how could you sell that? That's the Gemara's question. Amar Rava. Rava says. As I mentioned, so here, Rava, it, this, it's interesting that a lot of times when we're answering a question, it doesn't say that, he, that we're answering. Maskif is he's challenging. When you're answering, it's just Amar Rava. Rava says. Because he's, yeah, it's just, so it's, it's important to pay attention to that. Amar Rava, Rava says, Nasek Omerlo. It becomes as if he said to him. It becomes as if the the one who deposited it, the one who at it's, it's as if the one that deposited it told the watchman, If it will get when it will get stolen, or if it will get stolen, and you would like, and you would pay me. I Meaning you would like to pay me instead of swearing. Behold, my cow was sold to you from now, from the moment of when the deposit is given over. So this is till where we got last week. Um, so now, what we're about to do is we're going to challenge this idea. What is this idea? This idea is, and just to use the, the example that I gave before, what day... According to Ravo, what day did the cow become mine? I'm the watchman. What day did the cow become mine? October 1st. Although I paid for it on October 20th, right? Based on this statement, when you pay, if it gets stolen and you pay me, my cow is sold to you retroactively from today, from the day I gave it to you. So the cow became mine on October 1st. So whose cow was stolen? My cow was stolen. And therefore, I get the double. That's Rav's answer. But Rav Zera is going to challenge him. And he's going to tell him that I have a source to disprove your logic. What is that? And this was, I don't remember, in, one, in a few of the classes, um, it was um, people it was asked, what would be the rule, the ruling with any offsprings? Um, with the babies. So I mentioned that we're going to get to that. So here, here we have this. Maskivla Rabzeira. Rabzeira challenges this. He's challenging this notion that the cow becomes mine, the watchman's on October 1st. Ihachi. If so. If so, that the cow is the watchman's, even its offsprings and its shearings should also go to the watchman. 
Based on this logic, that retroactively the cow becomes mine, with all futures that might occur, right? Because the depositor, the owner of the cow is selling me both. He's selling me the actual cow and he's selling me any futures. What's included in any futures that might occur? Babies and shearings. If, well, for, for, for a sheep, right? If I share, if, if, if I should get all the benefits, the, the wool that was sold should go to who? To go, should become the watchman's. Now that would be great. That would be great. That would be a great, that would be a great investment for the watchman. He pays for one cow. He ends up with the babies. He ends up with the shearings. <coughs> and he ends up with the double. The problem is, and this is where his attack comes. Alma Tanya. However, we learned in the Brisa. A Brisa is the leftovers of the Mishnah. The Baraisa is the the Baraita is a section of teachings that come from the era of the Tanoim, of the Tana. They are as powerful as a Mishnah, as long as they're not countering a Mishnah. So, um, there, there's a lot of discussion around the power and what happened to the Baraisa, but in very short. The general idea of a Baraisa is that there were teachings that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the author of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda, the, the prince, didn't put into the Mishnah, or because he wasn't aware of it yet, or because it's very similar to the Mishnah, but just has some extra information. And he was assuming that that information could be, could be figured out on, your own, on his own. But again, a Baraisa is as powerful, comes from the same era of the Mishnah, from the same teachers, and as long as it doesn't counter a Mishnah, we accept it as powerful as a Mishnah. If it's a Brisa that was taught by the teachers, uh, by the students of, of Rabbi Yehuda. So here, again, and that's, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting letters and discussion about the exact why some, why some of them were chosen to be part of the Mishnah, why some of them were chosen to be part of the Baraita. But there, there is a Baraita, but again, the main thing is to, under, to, to understand that they are as powerful as, that they are as powerful as a Mishnah. And therefore, we have Ilmatanya, whatever we learned in the Baraita, and this is where his punch, this is where the uppercut comes, this is where his challenge comes. Chutz megezusa velodeseha. The watchman receives everything, excluding he gets the double. He gets the four or five times. But what he doesn't get is he doesn't get the shearings and he doesn't get the babies, the offspring. So that's a challenge to what Rava said that the cow became mine. 
Because if the cow is mine, why are the offspring not mine? If the cow's mine, or if the sheep's mine, why are the shearings not mine? Right? So that's the, from, from here to here, is a challenge on this notion that the cow became mine from the day of the deposit. Because <coughs> if so, why do I only get the why do I only get the double and why don't they get the 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 offspring and the shearing? If the cow is mine, everything is mine. Or that's what we think. So let me just read that question one more time. Maskiv law Rebzera. Rebzera challenges Rava. Ihachi. If so, that the cow is mine from the day you deposited by me. Even the offsprings and the shearings should also go to the watchman. Ilmatanya, however, we have the Brita. I get the double. I get the four or five times, but I don't get the offsprings or the shearing. So that seemingly is a challenge to. Seemingly, that's a challenge to, to Rabba's opinion. Um, before we go to the answer, um, is there, and this, tell me if there's, is there something, is there an idea in American law or, or in just a logical law that you end up purchasing certain profits but not all? Is there a scenario where I could purchase a, a, a product and some of the future some of the futures will be mine? Some of some of the futures will stay the previous owners. So I don't know about official law, but if you have an example of like I buy a desk and the desk happens to have a thousand dollars in it and the owner didn't know. I should return that thousand dollars to the original owner. I don't know if that's right. True. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. There was actually a we did a debate here that Rabbi Solish actually married. I, I teach in a school here. Rabbi Solish was the media, uh, mediator, and he one of the thing one of the questions that the students had to deal with was with that question. Right. That's a, yeah. There was actually a really beautiful story a couple of years ago where a teacher in a local yeshiva in Farakaway bought like a desk in a, like in a, in a garage sale and found like $30,000, like a, a huge amount of money. And it was like, it made it all over the news how he returned it. Um, yeah. So uh, is there, I, I, and again, I'm not, this is more of like a discussion. Is there such a thing where I could write? So that 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 that's one example. Is I mean, I, I know. Is there such a thing as in buying and well, I guess, and again, this is this is more of a thought. Buying off a company that's going that's like. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm I'm, th I'm thinking but getting stuck here. If there's such a such a thing where you end up 
purchasing something, but only acquire half the futures. This, I don't know if this addresses your question. From the, from the start, you could contract with somebody to buy their cow with, with the understanding that any children, any calves will be the original owners or any wool or both would be the original owners. You could do that by contract ahead of time. But is that what you're wondering right. can be done? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, can, I'm wondering. You could agree ahead right. of time to something, arrangement like that. I'm wondering if there's something that there's like, so yeah, by con yeah, so thank you for sharing that. And we're actually gonna get there. We're going to differentiate between between the the future few the few for uh we're gonna we're gonna differentiate between futures. Um, but I, I'm just wondering if I'm wondering if I'm wondering if there's something like this a law in 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 prac like in modern day in modern day um in modern day business dealings where the assumption is ex well not only could you contract is that it's sort of assumed that that's the way it is i guess let's uh let's see what the talmud says about so that. i i can't think i can't think of an exact example but there is a concept in real estate uh, in particular in some states where if you buy a property, you can buy the land, but uh, oil and mineral rights do not transfer. So uh, that's something that uh, is, it may not necessarily be contractual, but it's the law. Interesting. So you're saying if I, let's say, uh, just to help me understand this, if I were to buy that property and then find those things there, I, I didn't buy the rights for that. Yeah, it's, 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 um, I'm not an expert. Is that what it means? Let's say air rights, but I wonder if it's like the opposite of air rights uh, above a property. Interesting. Very They're interesting. Below. Very interesting. Okay. It actually is very similar to what our Gemara is. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, and actually, wow. It actually, Let's see what the Talmud says, and I think we can link those two very strongly. Ella Amar Rav Zera. Rav Zera says. So, so what you're saying? Omer, Talmud in order to get the real estate. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was just thinking. I was. I was. I was bringing. Uh, I was wondering. I wasn't. I, <laughs> I didn't have any. I. I wasn't planning for it to go that way. I wasn't sure where it would go. <laughs> I was taking the chance. <laughs> I was, I was, I was just, I was open. I, I was, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I, I mean, you know, sometimes you start a discussion hoping that it's going to go a certain, a certain angle, um, right? As, as a teacher, they try, you know, in school, they teach us how to control the discussion. This was a purely, a purely, see where this goes there was no i didn't know it would head in that direction at all <laughs> so, there was there was no uh yeah but it'd be interesting to see if the two if the logic behind what we're going to say here works with the logic of the real estate um which would be fascinating 
Um, it becomes as if the depositor tells the watchman. And this is right. I, I am selling you the cow with all its futures, except excluding its offspring and its shot and its shearings, right? So this is going back to what, uh, what Stanley said, right? About you could sort of contract it, that you could contract that this is what I am selling you, but I'm not selling you the, these profits. But over here, a little different, you're not contracting it. We're assuming that that's, the, that's how the business transaction is going down. That when I, this is all, this is all assumption-based, meaning the rabbis are telling you that at the moment of you giving me your object to watch for you, you're also telling me as long as you didn't say, as long as the assumption is that when you're giving me your product to, to watch and you including in that, you are also giving me the right to buy that object off of you if it was really stolen and you decided to pay me instead of making me take you to court. And here we add in a new twist that not only do you get, well, you get the cow, but you don't get, we, but you don't get the shearing and the offspring. So it's as if, as if, if the rabbis are telling you <coughs> in the contract, we tell you that you're getting the profits of the double, but you're not getting the offspring or, <coughs> or the shearing. So going back to the example, possibly, right? You get, you get the, 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 the rights of the property, but you're not getting the rights of the oil and the minerals. Oh my Pasca. And this is just a, this is a, this is not a challenging question. This is a wonder question. Oh my Pasca. Why do you decide that? What logic are you using to differentiate between futures, between getting double and getting a baby and getting the, the, the profits of the, of the offspring or the shearings. Oh my Pasco, why would you, why would you do that? Or what's, what's, what's the logic behind your ruling <coughs> to differentiate, right? Cause Rabzera is coming and telling you that you get the cow from October 1st, you get any double, but you don't get the offspring or the shearing. Says the Gemara two words, Stama the Milsa. It's the accepted words. It's, it, it's the assumption. It's logical. The reason why I'll I, I, I'm ready to differentiate between futures and the reason why I'm ready to, the reason why I'm ready to differentiate between futures and offsprings and shearing, it's logic. What might be the logic? What would be the difference between offsprings and what would be the difference between a baby, the profit of a, ba of, of a child, of the cow giving birth, and the, and the profit of if it gets stolen and you find a guy in time and you get him to court, you'll get the double. Could anyone think about a logical dif difference between, between a child, the offspring, the shearings, and, and the double that the one who stole it might end up paying? 
It's speculative. The conferring the right to the double is easy because it's speculative, whereas you're almost sure you're going to have shearings and or offspring. So one is more, much more likely than the other and very more readily sold. Beautiful. Ready for this? <laughs> A prophet that comes from the world, external, a person's ready to sell because it's external. It might not happen. It's dependent on so many external things. A prophet that's from its, from its body, from itself, a person is not ready to sell. I'm not ready to sell you something that I gave you. I'm not ready to sell you the fact that I gave you gave you a sheep to watch and you sh and, and and it was stolen right it's right there in my hands why i'm not selling you that right sounds similar to what we just heard from stan right there we go hey, so let me just do that one more time on oh, my pasca why differentiate why do you think you should differentiate between the offspring and the double stomach the milsa it's logical shifra the asami alma a prophet that comes from the world, from external, based on external factors of it in Ishtimakni, a person is ready to sell. Shivcha de Migufa, a prophet of its own body from itself, lie of it in Ishtimakni, a person is not ready to sell off. What this, and again, I'm just, again, this was a non, we didn't plan this. What this, does this relate back to the law about oil and minerals? In any what way? Seems like it. Huh? If now, this is why I was I was wondering about the law with the oil and the minerals. Is it if I knew that there was oil and minerals there? If I bought it as a place to dig oil, then obviously I get the oil rights, right? I think. <laughs> yeah, these these are situations where you're buying a place of residence. Got it. In an area that is known for possibly having you know, oil minerals. <laughs> right. That sounds like it almost sounds like we're talking our Talmud, our our piece of our piece of Gemara right there. Right, a pro I bought it as a residence. I bought it as a as a piece of real estate. Now, tomorrow morning, and th this is this this happens. Um, I know it's eight fifty six for all those. I, I I'm I'm willing to stay on until we get to the two dots. So uh, for those that would like to join me, please do. Um, <coughs> this um, I don't know. <coughs> I don't know if this happens too often in Georgia. But I think two of my sisters bought a house in Brooklyn, and they both hit gold. Um, both they bought off houses that were they they in both their cases they they beat the market by a day. I have a sister; she bought a home for back then was expensive because for whatever price a day later. 
down the block, a house sold for $300,000 more. Now, the reason why it's interesting, because unlike the beauty of Atlanta, where each person's home is different in size and different in shape, I'm talking about homes in, in New York, in Brooklyn, which are copies, are copies to the, they're exactly the same. Um, and it actually happened to two of my sisters two years apart. They both bought, and then a, <laughs> a day or two later, or a week, or in that month, homes, they happened to each time get that last house on the block that was going to go at that price because of the people were desperate to sell or whatever. They, they got very lucky, right? In such a situation, I don't think, right, um, the, the law... The seller can't come back to my, my sister and complain to them. But I didn't know that tomorrow the price is going to go up so much. There's nothing about your house that you sold in your house that made the house, that made the house down the block go up in price. My sister got lucky, right? On the other hand, in the situation of, of the oil, you bought a house and then a week later you're digging because you want to build a mansion and you find out that there's minerals there. That is something I sold you. So the law assumes that you weren't, re you weren't ready to sell that. And therefore, and therefore it wouldn't be a good sale. To me, it seems very similar to our Gemara, to our Talmud. A profit that's external, that's based on real estate markets and needs and train, new train stations opening, or new laws being passed, there's nothing you could do about it. But a, a oil, me selling a property, not being aware that there's oil or minerals under it, it's similar to these words, a profit that comes from its own body. It's its own piece of land that I sold that I wasn't aware of that went up that made it lie of it in a person's not ready to sell. Wow. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so here again, so here we have, that would be the difference between offspring and the double. So that is one way of dealing, understanding our Mishnah. So one way of understanding our Mishnah is that he sells him the cow with the double, but he's not ready to sell him the profits of the offspring and the profit of the shearing, because as said in the class and as the Gemara says, one's one, one's a possibility and one's from itself. Now, this is the next, <coughs> these two words, as, as a yeshiva student used to drive me mad. And it's as follows, Ika the Amri, there are those that say. And we're about to change the word, we're about to change the version of something. And as a yeshiva student, it used to like bother me. Like, what do you mean? I ask you a question. So what do you tell me? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't mean that. Uh, it really says something else. To me, I, I, as a yeshiva student, I, I had a study partner that every time they used to say, okay, fine. Like he, I got to a certain point that every time I would ask a question, he would just say, yeah, yeah, just change the version. What's the problem? But as I grew up, I, real, <laughs> I realized understanding how the Talmud was designed, 
also gives us understanding about why Rabbi Solish, we're going over a little bit. We're going over our time because we're getting to the two dots. <laughs> um, when, when it comes to understanding how the Talmud was put together, I started understanding why there is different ways of, there's different versions of what rabbi said, rabbi said. And the reason for that is, is because it was dialogue. There was no tweets. There was no, let's go back and see what this rabbi tweeted three months ago. He said something in a yeshiva. He said a speech, he was on a journey. He said a speech in a shul, in a synagogue. He gave a class, he was a, a, he was a guest for um, in-town Jewish Academy. He gave a lecture. And everybody, it was a huge crowd. And everybody heard him say it one way. He was still developing his thought. Three years later, he was a guest in, uh, he was a guest in, uh, he was sitting and learning in, a, in yeshiva and a student came and asked him a question. And he said, this is what I think. So he gave a speech about it three years ago, 100%. But um, but so so the, the, the idea that it that it's a dialogue and that it's a discussion and that it's a, a that it's a, a process of understanding things helps us understand why there are different versions because and also back then they just they weren't documenting there was no blogs and there was no tweets and there was no uh, there was no uh, there was no uh, it, it, was, it was a process of being figured out, right? So the first version, this goes back to Rava. That Rava said that when does he get the cow? He gets the cow from the moment that it was deposited. Ika the Amri. There are those that say. Um, there's those that say. There are those that say, Omar Rava, Rava said, Nasek Omerlo. It becomes as, where am I? I'm losing it. Nasek Omerlo. It's as if he said to him, Lichashatignov, when it gets stolen, Vitirtsevitishalmania, and you would like to pay me, Samochlegnevusa Knuyalach, it is sold to you close to the time of it being stolen. Retroactively, it is it's sold to you 10 minutes before the object was stolen. So let's go back. October 1st, the product was de deposited by me. October 10th, it was stolen from me. <coughs> October 20th, I paid for it. According to this version, when did the cow become mine? The cow became mine October 10th, five minutes before the, the cow was stolen. That now, my benayu, what's the difference between this version and the version of that it was, it was sold in from the day of it deposited? Ika benayu, there's a difference between the two. So again, um, whenever we see these words, my benayu is we're asking what's the distinction between these two different perspectives? Or sometimes 
the Talmud would say it when we bring two laws that sound very similar. We ask you, but really, what's the difference? My benayu, what's the difference between each angle that you're, you're coming from? Says the Talmud, Ika benayu. There's a difference between the two versions of Rava. Number one, Kushya de Rabzeira. Number one is the question of Rabzeira. Meaning, Rabzeira had a question, what will be the rule with the offspring and the shearing? So according to the first version that Rava said that the cow becomes the watchman from the day of the deposit, you have that question. According to the second op opinion, according to the second version, that Rava said the cow becomes yours 10 minutes before it was stolen, you don't have that question. Because your cow was stolen, but your cow didn't have a baby or have or, or any shearings. Inami, if also another possibility between the difference, if the cow becomes mine, the day of the deposit or the day that it was stolen is the kaima ba'agam if the cow is standing in a meadow. What would be the difference? If the cow was standing in a meadow at the time of it being stolen, meaning it wasn't stolen from the watchman's property, then the watchman can't get it because it wasn't in his property to acquire it. So here we have to the two dots. I know we rushed through the end a little bit. Um, if anyone has any questions on the meaning of it, please ask. But again, we finish off this section of the of the section, the sugya with saying another version for Rava is that he's told him that the cow becomes yours. The cow becomes yours a little bit before it was stolen. And therefore, A, we don't have the question of Rava, of Rabzera, about what would be the rule with the shearing and the offspring. And another thing is that if it was stolen from a meadow and it only, if it's not, if it's not in my property that moment, so then it's not mine, meaning I wouldn't get the double. So here we have a two dots. A two dots means the end of a sugya, the end of, the end of a, a section. So we, we covered a, almost a, what we call a Amud Gemara, a side of Gemara, but we got lucky that we, uh, that not got lucky. We, uh, we, got, we got a full section of Talmud in these four weeks. Um, so yeah. Let me just finish off here with um, the slideshow that we started earlier. If I could, oh, it's making me problems. Um, again, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to ask. Um, present, present, present. Um, so we were just, oops, go here. Right. So we went earlier until this area of Rava. That Rava said that it becomes him from the moment he gave the cow. Then we challenge that. And again, a maskev is a challenge from Amora. He's using a higher power or a power, a source, or he's using the power of intellect to disprove, to fully disprove the, disprove the previous notion, right? So what, what does he attack? He says, based on you, Rava, one should be getting the offsprings and the shearings. However, 
Tanya, this is an important rule. Tanya is, it was taught in a brysa. Interestingly, here you have to always use your logic. Is it a proof? Is it a question? Is it an answer? There could be Tanya, it was taught in a brysa, could be a proof or a question. Over here, it's a question. We use a source to tell us that you don't get the offsprings and the shearings, which make it seem, which seems to imply that the cow doesn't become yours at the moment of deposit. So we go to step number eight, which again, oops. step number eight was we, we, we redefine. Over here we Ella Amar, rather he said, we redefine by saying that you get the cow, you get the futures, but you don't get the offsprings. That was step number eight. So then we asked, if so, we were wondering, why would you differ between the offsprings and the, and why would you differ between the, the futures, about futures of the double and the futures of offsprings? Says the Gemara, logical. We differentiate between gains that come internally or externally, ones that are self, come from itself or however you want to put it, but there's a huge difference between profits, self, profits that are natural and profits that come from, from possibilities. That is, and then we asked, then we, we, we pointed out, and again, before I send this to Rabbi Solish, I'll add in some information here, Ika da Amri, then we brought another version for Rava, that rather he said that the cow becomes yours moments before this, before the before it was stolen, and then we ask my benayu, what's the difference between these two versions? Is there an actual practical halachic or an intellectual difference whether it becomes yours moments before it was stolen or the moment of deposit? Answers the Gemara, Ika benayu, there is a huge difference, and we pointed out a. Number one, you don't have to deal with the question regarding shearings. And number two is what happens if it was stolen from a meadow makes a big difference whether the cow became yours at the moment of deposit or it became yours at the moment of stealing. Right. So I am still around, but we, I'm going to say, finish off with a little Chaim over here. If anybody wants to join me for, uh, for finishing this, uh, this section. Of, of Gemara having that opportunity of learning some, some Gemara, some fascinating discussions. Um, thank you guys for participating and making it interesting. So l'chaim, l'chaim. We should... L'chaim we should have the opportunity to take the Torah, internalize it, and, and let, it, let, it, let it elevate us and put us in, in, in that right, in the godly mindset. I, I, I saw a letter of the Rebbe from years ago, written to a lawyer. And he asked the Rebbe for a blessing, for advice which business deal he should do. And the Rebbe very interestingly answered him, connect to the source of intellect. My blessing to you is that you should connect to the source of intellect and then you'll already know which, which business deals to do. So he was getting lucky there. The Rebbe was, wasn't blessing, giving him advice for one, for one business deal. The Rebbe was giving him advice for multiple. 
So hopefully with our, our connecting to God's intellect of learning Torah, that will, not, will inspire our soul, but also inspire our, our intellect to, to, to be in a higher place and be able to, to make choices wiser and better than ever before. L'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. Rabbi Jacobson, thank you very much. Yashikoach. Round of applause for Rabbi Jacobson for um, teaching this incredible four-part series. Yashikoach, thank you. And thank you to all of you for joining. Um, Rabbi, did you mention about a possibility of another, um, another series, maybe a different topic? Yes, I did mention that in the beginning, but we didn't get to that at the end yet. <laughs> Got it. So I, I mentioned earlier that there was, I mean, Rabbi Solish did have this discussion about possibly having a second series. Um, to see if guys would be interested, if anybody would be interested, and if, yeah, if they would like the, the setting the way it was, or would they like to see a different topic or a different different ideas being focused on, whether the whether in the class what to focus on more, or just any any changes they would like to see, or topics they would like to be learned. Okay, so, so good. So think about it, everybody, and then maybe we'll follow up by email. Maybe I'll send that an email and just let me know. Good. Does that sound good? Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, Rabbi, good. I'm going to share with you this slide. So I'm going to add in a little more information. I'll share the slide with you if you could send it out for those that want. Absolutely. I'll send that an email tomorrow with uh, with this the slideshow. And um, not a formal poll question, but just a question about uh, Tom mode and, and future series. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the best. All right. We'll see you all. Lila Tov. Oh, don't forget, for those of you on, in two weeks' time, uh, in two weeks' time, don't forget, we have Jewish bioethics with acclaimed Jewish bioethicist, Rabbi Dr. Eddie Reichman. He's going to be speaking about all the latest cutting edge medicine from a halachic perspective, from the perspective of Jewish law, including viruses and diseases and vaccines and genetics and gene modification, CRISPR technology. You don't want to miss this. This is going to be incredible. It's applying Jewish law to the most cutting edge medical technology uh, two weeks time, Tuesday, January 19th, 8 p.m. Take a look for it on our website, intownjewishacademy.org slash bioethics. You definitely don't want to miss this. Rabbi Dr. Reichman is an incredible presenter and one of the top world experts on these topics. So come and bring your questions because we'll have some Q&A also. Good. Bye-bye, Yashakoach. It's great to see you. And, and, uh, it's good to see all of you. Eve and Donna and Sandrine, myself, myself, Stephanie. All right. Bye, all. Take care, everybody.